Though the discussions on this podcast might be mystic, the language can be anything but holy. On this episode, I'm starting the new year not with a resolution, but rather with my greatest failure. So if you're looking for the keto versions of my favorite casseroles, this is probably not your episode. However, if you're looking for a story about old things being made new, get your cup of kindness ready to toast, my friends. Hey y'all, I'm Grace, and this is Mediocre Mystic, the podcast where we explore how mediocre makes the world go round and how mediocre works in mysterious ways. Thanks so much for tuning in. In the show that preceded this one, Fundamental Shift, I told the story of my life in and getting out of fundamental Christianity. Now, you could also watch the Duggars or any number of other fundy reality show families that are fun to snark on for reference. Seriously, though, if you want to check out my full backstory, you can find it on episodes three and four in the beginning of the feed. On this show, Mediocre Mystic, I've spoken primarily about my current life exploring spirituality, along with that of many, many others. Now, in my past life, this would have been a threat dangerous enough to lead me down a path that would damn my soul to hell. Sharing with you, free from evangelical dogma and institutional legalism, has opened my mind and my heart to profound wisdom and love that is all-encompassing. On that original show, I discussed my time in Bible college and talked about my three, yes, you heard correctly, three attempts at ordination briefly. However, I have never really shared much about the great 30 fucking years in the making epic failure of my life with anyone outside my immediate circle. Y'all, the truth is speaking about it has been difficult because it took me nearly a decade to really reckon with it on all levels. And now here I find myself again engaging with it in a search for self-integration in a way that I never really saw coming. I'm striving to be what I like to think of as an open concept person. When we're coping with any kind of trauma, including spiritual, it's a natural human response to compartmentalize. And for a long time, there was a room in the house of my heart that I had packed up neatly and I did not care to visit. After all, there were just boxes in there, right? Once in a while, I would jump, thinking that I had heard one fall to the floor. I would feel a quake. But yet again, I would think, there are just boxes, so just keep to the rest of the house. As those boxes fell now and then, a little piece would escape from under the door, and I would flinch at the sight of it. Or I would be walking outside the house of my heart, in the garden of my soul, around it, and get blindsided, catching a glimpse through the window. Eventually, I thought, you know what? Let's go in and just burn these bitches down, open up the room, air it out, and have the whole house of my heart open for my spirit to roam free again. What I did not take into account was that as I carried those boxes out of the room to the bonfire, they would stop me in my tracks and take me down memory lane in a way that invited me to recall the good times and to grieve the bad During the time that I had been avoiding that room, the others in my heart house had expanded and even put on additions. I had grown and healed enough to stop just bearing the good times because the bad were so bad. 
I actually began to smile and laugh at those good times. Dare I say, even miss them a little bit. I began to be able to feel the grief of those bad times in exchange for my very justified anger. I realized then that I was going to have to restore, not bulldoze and rebuild, all the rooms to integrate them with one another so that I can inhabit not a disjointed, compartmentalized house of my heart, but rather make my heart a home for myself, open to others and to the universe. Now, I strive for that open concept heart. I might be standing in the kitchen, and I can see the living room and the dining room from here. I can see the hallway and the entrance to the bedrooms, but I am standing in the kitchen. I realized I could see those parts of my life without standing stuck in them. I can take the best of those rooms and let go of the rest. I can create a flow of intentional dwelling within. Hell, I can even redecorate as often as I like, as long as it is authentically me. I had rediscovered my core. The core of you is never completely demolished. It gets covered up with bad plaster and carpet for sure. But you are always there. As you do the work to uncover your core and restore what might have been cracked in your foundation, it is much like having a fixer-upper house. You see the potential, and you catch a glimpse of what it could be. Then once you start pulling up the carpet, you discover those beautiful hardwood floors. Once you start taking the walls back to the original structure, you realize the bones are good. As you do the work, you are rewiring your brain from trauma, much like replacing an old electric system so that you don't burn yourself down. You're flushing out the toxic elements from your pipes so the water flows clearly without obstruction to nourish your system. Of course, all kinds of unexpected issues will crop up along the way. I can't tell you how many times I have thrown up my hands and had to take a break. I always come back, though, because the bones are good. The work I've done allows me to have the kind of safety with myself so that I can leave that beautiful brick wall exposed without shame and guilt. I can polish those floors and let the marks that tell the life they have lived shine. The ongoing work of integrating myself with who I was, who I am, and who I will be gives me a great comfort in my own skin and a deep sense of being that steadies my core even in my most precarious challenges. So we're going to do what the cool kid writers do on our favorite movies and TV shows. I'm going to share with you about living into my calling now with flashbacks to those formative moments in that epic shit show of my past failure. This is episode one of three in an arc. Calling in and of itself is a loaded word for me. I am currently working with a coach. She's really an uncoach. This isn't training for prioritizing goals and achieving outward success. This is the kind of internal, deep soul work I once thought I could only find in religion. She often uses a word I have been uncomfortable with ever since I left the church. Calling. It makes my face wince, and it makes my ass squirm. When we first started working, I would gulp, take a deep breath, every time she said it, and then just keep going. 
I remember thinking, how many times can you say the fucking word calling, sister? I think I thought it would just fade away if I ignored it enough. Finally, in a session, I told her, hey, this word is really uncomfortable for me. I thought she would look at me with a gentle gaze, slowly pull back and say something super comforting to me. Thankfully, instead of that non-confrontational retreat, she leaned in and she got curious, still with the most gentle of gazes I have come to trust in her. She asked me what my body was feeling in that very moment. And well, you guessed it, we've arrived at our first flashback. As I sat feeling more tightly wound than a rubber band around the trunk of a tree in my body, I made the choice to lean in with my coach. I wanted to really let go of the dread of this word. I mean, it is only a word after all, right? So I closed my eyes, sat back in my green velvet chair, leaned back against my gold velvet pillow, and planted my feet firmly on the walnut hardwoods of my study floor. And no, we are not in a flashback to the 1970s, folks. We are indeed in the present time. Then I took a deep breath in and out. Oh, it was all there. Palms sweating, tears welling, pressure in my throat, pushing on my chin, my lips quivering, holding it all in, the exact feelings I could recall having once before. And all in a moment, I was 13 again. Curly mushroom bob, baggy modest clothes, tears streaming down my face, kneeling down on Pepto-Bismol pink colored carpet at an altar. I could hear the choir singing, Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Aw, fuck, there's that word. Calling for you. And for me, oh shit, two of them, two callings. Okay, by now you might have guessed it was a 90s Southern Baptist church. In that world, my world at the time, cis-hetero men and only cis-hetero men were qualified to share the gospel. My part was to support them as an able helpmeet, also known as submit and do what the men folks say. Because you are just a weaker-sexed woman, hon. Come under our umbrella of authority so that we may protect you from the big bad world that you are so gullible to fall prey to. I kept thinking to myself, what in the fuck to do? In my experience, I knew the Bible better than many of my male counterparts, including adults. I had more connection to my faith and I had more passion to share it in many instances than those around me who had simply been born with male genitalia. That male genitalia inherently made them superior to carry the good news into all the world. Better yet, what in the hell did I do with the fact that I had no desire to submit to a man, let alone be married to one? And even more so, what did I do with the fact that I felt called to ministry? Well, I knelt right there and dedicated myself, ironically, to the ministry of a man, Jesus Christ. I had no interest in playing the part of Mary or Martha. I wanted to be like John the Baptist in the wilderness, wearing animal skins, eating locusts, and baptizing followers in the river. Think naked and afraid, because the Lord is my shepherd edition. It was just between us, me and God, 
as I knew it could only be, since no one else in that sanctuary, man or woman, would think me worthy. That memory from within felt like it took hours to relive. But in reality, within seconds, I had said to my coach that I felt in my body that I was not worthy. It was interesting because my first official denial to ministry for simply being born and identifying as a woman came a decade later than this moment that I have shared with you. It was like I already knew right then and there that the process would not succeed. And yet, I could not help myself. I marched forward through Bible college and beyond. I served missions of all sorts and ran the whole gamut of volunteer ministry. I was basically strung along in a denomination promising something to women that they have yet to give. And I arrived at the first dead end of my quest to fulfill my calling and ordination. I was quite taken aback because I thought that I had dealt with that. I knew that I was not inferior to a man in my mind. That feeling of rejection, however, still lingered. I was so embarrassed to have such an old hurt. I thought healed impact me now. My coach Zoe sat with me as I wept. She held the most expansive space for that pain along with me. She offered no silver lining explanation, no cliched placation. We honored that grief together, and she remained curious. She asked me after naming it how I felt in my body now, and I said, relieved. For once, it had been given its fair due. For once, I was comfortable being uncomfortable. I did not have to expedite my story in an effort to make the other person hearing my discomfort feel more comfortable quickly. I did not have to worry about how long my silent pause lasted as I allowed what was welling up in me to manifest. My coach, my friend, my soul sister Zoe gave me the gift of permission without limits to feel my damn feelings. Let me tell you, friends, if you do not do that, it will leak out in other ways. I had experienced that for years manifested in an over-deference to men, even after leaving the church. But because I gave a voice to my feelings, I was able to move forward with my healing not only knowing I wasn't inferior to men, but believing it, which gives me greater confidence in the world to walk in my calling now. We talked it out a bit more, and then she guided me through a meditation that helped me come not only to a sense of growing worthiness, but a recognition of the calling that has always been inside. It is not the calling of or to a man even if he was divine. It is the calling to my own truth, walking my own path. She will often say, don't be afraid to do it the grace way, in her Aussie voice. Out of answering that call to my core self, I go deeper into a call of service to the world around me, offering a safe space for healing, which I offer to you right now. Just the way my coach Zoe did for me. She challenged me to reclaim that word calling and make it my own. Now it's loaded not with dread, but with hope. 
She also encouraged me to let those dreams I had so many years ago that do indeed still have life in me to be reframed, to grow and to evolve just as I have over the years. It might look different. It will look different, just as I do after all these years. But the core remains, much like my main features. It is just like that old house that might get updated and redecorated in differing seasons. But it still has those good bones. That, of course, comes with the work of maintenance. Once in a while, you might even need a big renovation. You're still going to get dusty and dirty from time to time. But, oh, my friends, the payoff is everything. The way I have seen the investment in myself compel me to invest in others and make both of our lives all the better because of it has given me the most incredible, immeasurable, ineffable gift. I want to encourage you to love and embrace who you were, who you are, and who you will be because you are worthy. You are worth it all. Until next time, make a toast to your whole self, failures and victories, past, present, and future. Cheers, my dears. I want to make a special thanks to Dr. Zoe Lumiere. I'll link her information in all the show notes and highlight her on social media as this series, which the work I've done with her has so impacted, rolls out the rest of this month. What a way to start the year, allowing love to guide you. If you're feeling spirit move you to a love offering, go subscribe, follow, rate, and review Mediocre Mystic on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or any of the platforms you find podcasts. You can chip in to support the show, keep it independent and public for less than the price of a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash mediocre my G. That's buymeacoffee.com slash mediocre M-Y-G. Thanks to 86 Aerostar for my groovy mood music and Bizrit Creative Group for my mesmerizing logo. If you want to read my cards or better yet, tell me your story, please email me at mediocremysticpod at gmail.com. Or you can check out my blog and interpret my dreams, read transcripts of the show, and leave a comment on mediocremysticpod.blogspot.com. On social media, you can crystal ball me on Facebook and YouTube by searching Mediocre Mystic Podcast. On Instagram, you can vision me at Mediocre Mystic. On Twitter, you can scroll my prophecies at Mystic Mediocre. On TikTok, you can move through time with me at Mediocre Mystic Pod.